We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrated videos, prayer, and weekly message.
and we've gathered here today. We've gathered here to pray, hear our cry. Oh Lord, we need your mercy and we need your grace today. Hear us as we pray.
Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you as a weak church. We acknowledge that much of our faith tends to hide within the walls of being lukewarm. We renounce this, O Lord. I take by faith the helmet of salvation on behalf of all authentic born-again believers. I recognize that our salvation is the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We choose to cover our minds with the mind of Christ. We desire for you to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We ask that you release the mind of Christ through our own minds. Let our thoughts be your thoughts. We open our minds fully and only to the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is you, Lord. We replace our own selfish and sinful thoughts with your thoughts. We reject every projected thought of Satan and his demons and request instead your mind, Jesus. Grant us the wisdom to discern thoughts that are from the world, from our culture, from our old sinful thoughts and reactions all belonging to the kingdom of Satan. We believe you, Jesus, are the Son of the Father. You died on the cross for our sins, and that you, Jesus, are truly God as well. We believe in the Trinity, you as the Father, Jesus, you as the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. We confess we were once sinners, totally separated from you. We choose to accept your forgiveness for our sins through the power of your blood, Jesus, which you shed for us on the cross. If by some chance the Spirit does not live within some of those who are praying this prayer, we now ask, O Lord, that you send the Holy Spirit to live inside their mortal bodies. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that we may know the mind of Christ as he hides the word within our hearts and minds. Open our hearts to love your word. Grant us the ability and capacity to memorize large portions of it. May your word be ever over our minds like a helmet of strength which Satan's projected thoughts cannot penetrate. Cause us to allow the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, within us, 
to fulfill the discipline of daily living, to appropriate your salvation. O Lord, cause us to reject the lukewarm culture. Set our hearts aflame with the power of the Holy Spirit. May we not associate with the lukewarm church, which you have titled the Church of Laodicea. Father, we thank you for who you are, the way you are, for being a God who's in control of all circumstances in our lives, in the lives of those who are in your church. We thank you for using crisis to reach out to potential members to become the bride of Christ. These things we lay before you in your precious name, who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Greetings, listener. We're glad that you have decided to join us today. You have jumped into a series that we are doing on the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be focused on the lukewarm church, and we're going to explore how the lukewarm church has worked its way into our culture today. Let's take a look at our scriptures for today. We're going to be reading out of Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witnesses. The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove in discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. The Church of Laodicea reveals the details of the final state of apostasy, which means falling away. Laodicea was located about 40 or 50 miles east of the church of Ephesus. 
The city's name comes from the wife of Antiochus II, and her name, of course, was Laodice, the Sumerian who ruled in the early days of the city in and around 261 BC. The town didn't amount to much until it came under the rule of Achaeus. In 220 BC, the town became a city and the city became known for their wealth, extreme wealth. In fact, by the time of John, it became the most important and flourishing commercial city in Asia Minor. Laodicea had a small problem. That problem was earthquakes. This area seemed to be plagued with natural disasters. Every time this great city began to enjoy their wealth, wham, another disaster. By the time John began to write about this church... They had regained the glory and wealth lost during the great earthquake of A.D. 62. From all accounts in Revelation, this wealthy, great city began to affect the condition of the church. It appeared strange that their riches and sorrow were consistently in harmony with each other. God said that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that certainly was the case with Laodicea. Very few rich people serve God and few rich churches serve God. Money is a compulsive substance which acts like a master all by itself. Jesus stated that it was, quote, easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to get through the gates of heaven. And this clearly communicates the problem within Laodicea. We could actually rephrase the statement to be it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich church to get into heaven. This is the warning that is being given to the church of Laodicea. This is certainly a fact that is difficult for us to understand and that is the riches and true spirituality somehow do not mix. They are like oil and water. As long as you shake it up, earthquakes, you can eat from it. And that's exactly what this community did, as well as the church. This church was known for its luxury, self-satisfaction, pride, worldly Christians, and a revitalizing of the Tower of Babel. Today, God has completely leveled the city, several times in fact. Its wealth is no more. The people are scattered but we do find them in churches throughout the generations. And their splendor lies in a pile of dust. All it takes is one, two, or three pandemics and God will have the church on its knees, no longer able to rely upon their big budgets, their gold-plated walls, nor the people that are supporting and giving their funding from their wealth or poverty to help sustain these Tower of Babels that have been built that we are presently calling churches. Yes, there is a ruins showing signs of the Romans' extreme lust for going over the top. But God did not allow another city to take its place. If you look in biblical history, you'll find out that once God was finished with Laodicea, he truly did spit them out of his mouth. Our concern for today in modern culture is will he do that again? In Paul's day, some 30 years before John was put on the island of Patmos, 
The conditions of that particular assembly bothered Paul tremendously. What we find in Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul was troubled over their pride, material idolatry, and selfishness. They clearly did not need God. Why should they? They're able to buy anything and everything they needed. Paul noted they found glory in what they had, not in what they possessed in Christ Jesus. The struggle Paul experienced in his day is no different than today. Since the Church of Laodicea is the symbolic period of the day of Pentecost to the day of rapture, we are in need of evaluating the same issues this early church faced many years ago. Christ introduces a new title for himself in this passage. He calls himself the Amen. This title is a Hebrew word meaning both the true unchangeable nature of Christ and the unchanging message of God's word. Scholars of Hebrew tell us the actual meaning for the word Amen is literally translated as truth or belief. Therefore, Christ is starting his introduction to the Laodicean truth as he is truth. So when we hear the word truth spoken, we better be certain, absolutely certain, that we're speaking of the life of Jesus Christ. The second title Christ gives himself is the faithful and true witness. Because of the sins and frailties of man, Christ is the one and only true witness. The rest of us fall short, completely, without his life. Finally, he refers to himself as the beginning, representing the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now comes the rebuke. It states, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would rather have you cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, our issue becomes relevant for us today. If like most people, a cold drink is refreshing and a hot drink is comforting, but a lukewarm drink is distasteful, this is the message being communicated here to this church. Christ would actually prefer this church to be as cold as ice if necessary, but he would prefer for the church to be hot, inflamed by the Holy Spirit. Lukewarm is indifference. They were without the spirit of fire, but they did not run around publicly following Satan directly. It ended up being a way of serving Satan indirectly. And that's what indifference is. They were just indifferent to the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit and the angel who was assigned to this group, this church, of believers. The Laodicean members were indecisive, spineless, and not willing to take a stand for anything representing the life of Jesus Christ himself. They feared losing their wealth and possessions if they spoke up. They had no fear of God, which is what got them in trouble. The seventh church is the worst condition of all of them. This church has the greatest impact on our churches today. It is like a cancer that has a mission to pass itself down from generation 
to generation, much like how viruses work from generations to generations. The ultimate goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Christian wealth is viewed by our present society much different than the way Christ was viewing the wealth of the Church of Laodicea. Yes, many of these leaders and their ministries fall into the category of being Laodicean, but the truth is, prosperity doctrines only work in a prosperous society. If the Bible is correct, and God bringing a close to such Christian prosperity, then the church is going to be in deep despair very soon. Verse 17 shows us Christ's primary concern, remembering it says, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, that's quite a statement. Talk about reading the hearts of modern Americans and other countries that seem to bathe themselves in wealth. Because of their wealth, they needed nothing, at least in their eyes. Wealth has a way of covering our wretched and miserable conditions. It makes us feel good, look good, but in the end, we are still blind and naked before the Lord. Authentic ministries is key. Many times I have questioned the Lord why he keeps our little ministry living hand to mouth. After studying the historical elements of the Church of Laodicea, I have no further questions regarding this issue. Needs create dependency, and dependency forms intimacy with a provider. Christ is offering this challenge to all of us, not just the lukewarm Church of Laodicea. I've come to realize that whatever I am and whatever I have, I am to be well content. It is through that lack that I find my true intimacy in Christ. Verse 18, Christ offers the church some counsel. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Both in the Greek and the Hebrew, that fire means a refinement or a purification process. He went on to say that you may become rich in white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed in the eye and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The refined gold is the purification process of our souls, most likely what we would call today persecution. His offer of white garments can only be obtained through salvation. Therefore, he is requiring of them to have a born-again conversion through him. The white robe is offered to us because he dipped his robe in his own blood. This is the one and only way they can cover their nakedness before God. The eye salve is the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit and touching their eyes, touching our eyes, opening our eyes to the truth so that we may be healed in order to see the truest things of God. Now comes the repentance part. He said, 
Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus is obviously communicating his great love for this church. He wants them to be hot for him. The only way this can occur is the conditions that he sets before them must be accepted as a refining fire to come to repentance. He warns them of the process, being disciplined, being refined, and now he sets before them a way out. In verse 20 it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, I will dine with him, and he with me. This is the infamous verse of salvation, used by bridal members throughout all the generations. Since the day of John's writings, he has clearly laid out a pathway of becoming born again. And that requires being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the living God. He stands, he knocks, and he waits. If we do not open the door, we lose. Jesus coming into us is the sealed hope of eternal life and blessings. This church is being offered the most gracious act of all eternity. Let's hope they hear the knock, open the door, and allow him to come in and dine with them. Dining is a very important part of Hebrew culture. When you dine with someone, you're accepting them unconditionally. This is a message for all unbelievers living in the church, thinking they're saved, but they are not. He even speaks of their reward. He says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We could easily paraphrase this as, If any of you overcomes this lukewarm state, you are in and accepted by me, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. I will give to you the right and privilege to sit with me on my throne as my beloved bride. May we all have ears to hear this message. Each and every believer suffers with moments, days, months, or years of being lukewarm. Quote-unquote believers are leaving the faith by the droves, even as you're listening to this message today. It is almost as if there's a great apostasy that has already started. This is one message we cannot pass off as being just for the lukewarm church in Revelation. We all need to be heated up by the Holy Spirit. Coming up in our next message, it's called Looking into Heaven. This is when we shift from John looking to the seven churches to turning around and looking at eternal things in heaven. We're going to speak from Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. We're going to talk about the throne and worship center. We're going to talk about what that open door does and can accomplish, and what it looks like through the eyes of John. We need to spend a little time talking about the importance of rapture. 
than the five points of the storm that is about to come. We need to also focus on seeing life, seeing circumstances, seeing the world through the eyes of Christ and how that's done. John sees a rainbow and it's not the rainbow that most people are thinking. He also references the sea of glass which is a very interesting topic we will be covering. And of course those confusing but in my mind not so confusing creatures that are spoken of in chapter 4 and what their characteristics have to do with John's vision. We thank you for joining us today. It's been an exciting topic and we look forward to having you join us in our next message. Until next time.